Welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings while other times uh, giving ourselves the opportunity to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am the guest today, uh, <laughs> Carlos Cooper, and uh, those that are always here. It's me, Joe Hilliard. And Dave Gurney. That is the one downside to me doing the intro is that I'm never quite sure how to get out of it. Like, yeah, all good. I don't know. You did fine there. I think, uh, you know, hey, our, our loyal listeners know they're think, in the know. And those who don't, like, hey, they're, they're going to figure it out. I think last time I just awkwardly paused for an extended period of time yeah, until someone have. said something. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for being here, Carlos. I'll, I'll uh, lo- always love to Would have been you. offended if I wasn't. Oh. I asked Carlos, hey, would you like to do fill in the blank? He's like, I was waiting. What did you say? I thought you'd never I ask. I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> <clears throat> so we've got, I mean, a great episode ahead of us. It feels like we're back into the old rhythm, David. We're done with that sight and sound series that we've done over the course of the last seven weeks. Its own version of fun, but a different a version. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of new releases during that series, but now we've got a new release that all three of us I know are anticipating excited about I don't know what y'all think about it because we haven't talked about it yet and we N- will not a, not a whisper has been shared yet but in case you d- because I know when you see beer in a movie has a new episode you don't even look at the title you just click you just go click. I mean immediately right. I need my fix and I don't know, sometimes um, the titles can be a little out there sometimes true yeah. let me give I think you just named the episode let me give you <laughs> a hint as to what we're doing uh Tied for the number one brewery that we have done on the show. Any guesses? The brewery that we have drank Ingenious. the most of their beer. In, yes, Ingenious is tied for first place along okay. with St. Arnold's. No. Jester King. Jester, oh, King. Jester. Jester King is in southwestish Austin, mm-hmm. uh, kind of in a, used to be a more rural area, but that area is certainly Building grown up. up. Yeah. And kind of down the street and around the corner is another brewery that uh, a lot of people love. And this is our first time, though, to have it on the show. It's called Thirsty Planet. And they've got a uh, beer that I think they're almost considering a flagship from the research that I've done. But it is called... I have seen this around, so that makes sense. Yeah, it's called Fat Bat. Hazy IPA. 5.8% ABV. Tangy tropical fruit with a soft bitterness. Cornucopia of berries, stone fruit, and citrus. And guys, I'd love to see if anyone wants to try. It says, enjoyed best upside down. <laughs> I just put the can upside down. But but I think it's a joke because I, of the bat thing. Now, bat yes. Thing. Uh, of, in case you don't know, in Austin, Texas, there is a famous bridge that oh, goes yeah. over Lake LBJ. Yeah. And underneath that bridge is a huge population of bats. And if you get there at sunset, uh, you can watch them emerge from the bridge. And I believe uh, that this fat bat beer is an homage to that Austin wonderment. <laughs> so the episode title I was thinking of was Djibouti Shorts. Oh, when yeah. When I said that sometimes episode titles are kind of out there. That was yeah, the that, 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 was a, that was an out there one. But that, that was, was too good to pass up, yeah. that, you know, when that, when that came out. So, yeah. Well, David, why on earth would we be drinking a beer about a bat? Well, folks, uh, those are who have been paying attention to new releases know already that uh, just last weekend, uh, it, uh, it was... Uh, what April fourteenth? Fourteenth, yeah. Uh, we, we had a new film arrive in theaters called Renfield. It is uh, directed and produced by Chris McKay, written by Ryan Ridley, and this is sort of a an update, a reimagining. What what would you call it? It's an extension. I mean, they, what we can talk maybe 
about how they uh, play off of the uh, universal uh, Dracula yeah. in the beginning of the film. But um, this idea that we have Dracula who has survived to our current times along with his faithful familiar slash servant Renfield here played by Nicholas Holt, of course, Dracula, and the reason why probably Carlos was chomping at the bit for us to invite him, Dracula himself, played by none other than... Patron saint of the podcast. Nicholas Cage. Uh, and they, uh, the, the film sort of frames their relationship in a way that I don't think we've ever seen before. If anybody saw the trailer, the basic uh, concept of... Um, Renfield kind of uh, working through his relationship with Dracula uh, in the current parlance of sort of, uh, I'm I'm losing the term, what is it, a support group for codependency. Right. Right. Thank you. Um, You know, he quickly, uh, even though he's there initially to track a potential piece of prey for Dracula, he gets swept up by this discussion that's going on and recognizes in himself a codependent relationship that he has with Dracula. Toxic relationship. Toxic, yeah, yeah. Definitely. definitely. Um, and so, you know, it, it's really, uh, now that I've seen the film, I can say the trailer does a fairly good job of laying out pretty much what the scope of the film is. Though things do get introduced, you know, obviously the stakes get higher as it goes on. Um, but, but if you've seen the trailer and you understand it being Renfield kind of having this sort of contemporary modern day awakening to the toxicity of his relationship with Dracula and thus trying to kind of work through that and or disengage himself from that relationship. That's the conflict of this film. And I think another like main piece is that he carries around in his pocket a small box of, of insects and the lore that's presented in the film. I don't know if this was presented. I mean, I know that Renfield ate bugs when he was in a cell. Yeah. But, in this was that re- to give him power? I don't those think other was it. Okay, I don't know. Regardless, in this situation, yeah. it is very overt that if uh, that by being Dracula's henchman, familiar servant, he has a little portion of Dracula's powers, right. and he engages them by eating, by taking in living blood, and in this case, he'll eat a roach or whatever it is. And when he does, his eyes turn orange, and then he can fucking John Wick the shit out of you. You know what I'm saying? He can leap tall yeah. buildings and, and acrobatics and punching. He can punch your head so hard that it comes clean off of your body yeah. and travels 50 feet and hits the window of a car. Yes. So if you couldn't tell already, there's also a, a good amount of at, at least attempted humor here um, through, <laughs> through some of the, the action. Um, it also has a parallel plot where you it's set in New Orleans. You have a New Orleans crime family uh, that is, uh, you know, kind of untouchable. The they, they, they have the law in their pocket. Yes, the Lobos, right? Uh, which is headed by, uh, well, Ben Schwartz is the main guy who we see throughout a lot of the film. Teddy is the son of the family. But uh, the mother there, uh, what is it? Be- Bella Francesca. Uh, I don't played... know if they really say her actual no, name. No, I'm just looking at it again. on IMDb. Yeah, it's Shore. Uh, Agadashlu. I don't know that I had seen her in anything else, but she's good, actually. I I think she does a good job with her. Um, But this crime family um, has an ongoing feud with uh, Rebecca Quincy, who is a police officer who's been sort of uh, relegated to traffic duty, uh, in part because she doesn't go along with the uh, rest of her colleagues' uh, acceptance and, and or willingness to be bribed by the Lobos. 
So um, there, there's kind of that parallel conflict going on. And of course, as you would expect in a film like this, those things get aligned and that, uh, kind of. yeah. Yeah, it was a roller coaster and the trailer kind of showed it that it was going to be. And uh, I saw that trailer way too many times and kind of hated it by the time, you know, whatever. I not that like I was once, I think. not looking forward to the movie by any stretch of the imagination. I was. And the main reason for that is Nicolas Cage. Let's talk about him first. Fucking incredible. Amazing in every single scene <laughs> that he does under different prosthetic makeup. He uh, at the beginning of the film, he's. Uh, uh, showered by sunlight and then becomes this like little corpsey thing that Renfield then has to uh, re- resuscitate, resuscitate yeah. by bringing him these victims. Um, the sense of humor of the film is given immediately when we go back to seeing Renfield become Dracula's servant and the way that they do that is by representing the 1931, whatever it was, 1930, uh, Bella Lugosa Dracula. He's almost a dead ringer. It's in black and white, it's kind of crackly, and he's using all these like mannerisms that Bella Lugosi did in the film. And I, I was hooked at that moment that they're doing something special, fun, they're paying homage to the classic Dracula. Uh, well, Nicholas Cage sequel. is going to give a. What did I say? I said this is a direct, like intentionally a direct sequel, like a, right. like a, a Halloweening. Okay. Of okay. Things. This is they're going to give Nicholas Cage the room, and Nicholas Cage is going to take that room to be Nicholas Cage, the Nicholas Cage that we love, when he can go a little wild, and he does that throughout the film. And I'm going to say his performance is amazing. I'll agree. I mean, I I think he's. He's doing the work. I think you know. Doing the work. Well, I mean, this is—he is a man who we we have long said on this podcast will show up with all the energy to put into the role. Sometimes you may take issue with how he directs that, or, or or what it is that he's you know bringing to a given role. But I think in this case, Joe's right. I think he does take the um take that sort of lead that was established by Bella Lugosi does maybe a little bit to intensify at a time. Like, you know, there's some little cage ticks in there, but I think overall he, he achieves a nice connection with the Lugosi uh, portrayal. Yeah. Which I mean, if you've ever listened to uh, Nick Cage talk about acting, he loves that shit. He loves that big vaudevillian, uh, over the top facial expression type of acting that was, you know, kind of what was the norm of Bella Lugosi's time. Mm-hmm. And so to put him in a place where he gets to pay homage to that in a way that makes total sense and that you wouldn't expect anything else from whoever's playing that role right. is like, I mean, it was made for him. Yeah. I don't know if they actually did make it for him, but. <laughs> If they had cast anybody else, it would have been a huge glaring omission of like you didn't even try to get Nick. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to think who you could have gotten to do that. Um, that that might have done it well, but he, he, yeah, we, we don't need to worry because he did it. Mm-hmm. That, that's him. So he's not the weak link here. No. Okay. Okay. Is that <laughs> okay? So you're saying there's a weak link? Okay. Well, I, well let's I think talk there about are another a strong weak links. Another strong. You link? want to talk more strong? Okay. Nicholas Holt's acting and performance in this film is solid. And I think pays service to the story that they're telling very much. We enjoyed him, I think, in the menu the last time we talked about him on the show. And uh, Mad I Max Fury Road, we love that. Yeah, he does a great job here of kind of continuing a very positive career trajectory. Mm-hmm. Uh, Car- Carlos, a positive 
I, yeah, I like Nicholas Holton. I mean, it's fun to see him, like, kick ass, you know, because he doesn't... I mean, somewhat in Mad Max, even though he's kind of... Right, but he's, more he's not... Yeah, of the, yeah. ...that cast of characters. Um, but in, in that, it's so, like, far removed because he's, like, the makeup and everything makes him seem, like, less human than, you know... Yeah. The, so seeing... You know, him playing just like a, a normal guy who, which is his normal kind of path, you know, like in the menu, he's like kind of dorky, you know, just mm-hmm. like normal square dude. But that has this thing that he can turn on to become a mix of Jackie Chan, Michelle Yeoh, and Keanu Reeves, like all in like <laughs> one action fighting. Because, you know, because there are those moments where you get those big leaps that are like, they're not as graceful as Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but they are like similarly yeah. gravity defined. And Matrix, you know? Matrix moving out of yeah. bullets and knives. Yeah, and stuff like of. that. Yeah. And so yeah. it's it's fun to get to watch him do that. Another positive. Aqu- I'm sorry. I, I think Aquafina is always a joy uh, on screen as well. I'll come back around to her. Another positive the gore. Uh, I, Ooh, I loved the hard disagree. I loved yeah, the gore of hard, this movie. Hard, hard, hard disagree. Okay, go Sha- ahead. So, the, so since 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 you had to go there already, we'll get into the two deficiencies of this movie. Please, uh, one of them <laughs> being the gore. Uh, shouts out my my man's Kyle Ferguson, always keeping it a buck. Stop the CGI, fucking blood it's bad it's really bad and and i and, and i think that you can if you want try to steer it back around into a positive by saying it plays up the camp well or that's, whatever i was going to say the, the but then you're justifying the allowance the i can give that well i don't know if it's but if you want that kind of you can you can have slapstick ridiculousness with practical effects, obviously, right? Evil Dead, we know we know that, so that like you can. The but shining. I but I do think it opens up certain opportunities, like the head punch flying across. You know, like those kind of things are hard to achieve. Have you ever seen the story effects. of Riccio? I don't think I it's have. It's an absurd kung okay. movie. It can be done, and <laughs> so so that brings me to my second deficiency in this movie, which isn't, which is more so like an explanation of the first rather than like something else entirely. But I think that with this screen story being developed by Robert Kirkman, uh, who I didn't actually look up to make sure it's the same person, but I have a very sneaking suspicion that it is, is the guy that created The Walking Dead, uh, who is a monumental comic creator in his own right and has done quite a bit for television at this point. Mm. But that's exactly it, is that he comes from television. Right. He comes from basic cable television and, you know, he's done some, I think, I think he did a Showtime series or something like that. But, uh, but between him, who is a a producer on it as well. And then the director, who's also a producer on it as well, who's probably best known for the Lego Batman movie. Uh You have a group of people that are either a, like the director kind of more used to success in animation and, the kind of workflow that comes with that or be someone who really cut their teeth in television dealing with a lower budget dealing with you know uh certain limitations that come with having to put out entire seasons of content rather than just one 90 minute film and to me i i, I can see them in pre-production 
kind of talking about how they're going to do things and just being like, well, you know, we always use CGI blood on The Walking Dead for these really big, super gory scenes, and it works just fine. Like, it'll be fine. We'll just do that, and then we'll save money on the having to bring in a cleanup crew to reset so yeah. that we can shoot another take, and, like, well, let's just do it. It'll be fine. I, I felt like when it came to that aspect of the movie, there was a lot of it'll be fining happening, and... I think that it I think the movie suffers from it a little bit. Now, do I have some other like dream director in mind that no, I don't think this is a movie that's like at the level that you really need somebody who's innovative and groundbreaking in it. Like it has a thing that it's trying to do mm-hmm. and so you just got to bring someone that's I, but I do wish there was somebody that at the helm that was like really invested in practical effects. Yeah, I mean that, that honestly that so wait, that's one weakness. You said there were two. Well, two, I think the second is that is what I said was more of an explanation for the first. Oh, okay, but, okay. But okay, I think the I like the pe- people leading the charge on it um because they okay uh, that, I, get, I get okay i get what you're saying the the second is more of the like uh it'll be fine yeah you know? yeah oh and the scott slander you can make that number two <laughs> oh, if you want that's i was wondering if that was going to come up i, oh, I you knew it was going to come that, up that buddy. got some good chuckles from me i gotta say that get, knowing that you were having to watch the film <laughs> no you would have seen it anyway probably but uh yeah that that was that was funny when uh when that came up i don't know so you know the uh, to be honest and i understand that critique and and I had seen Kyle post about it as well, and I I I totally get it. I sympathize with it. It does not personally bother me that much. It didn't until the end, really. Like, well, I guess until the fight scene in his apartment. Okay, that's the one where I was just like, okay, it's getting hard to excuse at this point. <laughs> yeah, know? like it's getting egregious to a level that I'm just like the one in like the courtyard where yeah, they're like yeah, 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 yeah going yeah, up the different yeah. levels. That's. There were a lot of the other stuff. I was like, okay, like yeah, yeah, no, okay, fine. I mean, I ending on the you. pile of dead bodies or whatever—that uh, that was sort of. But funny. The, that one, I was like, Geez. yeah. I mean, there's an over it's the so top fake. There's an over the topness that I think it's it is harmonious with that. That didn't put me off, you know. So I've already indicated that I think there's some weakness here. Mm-hmm. That isn't my personal weakness. I have a, I have a couple. I don't know. I guess I would say two. Um, one of them actually goes to, and I think maybe where Joe was going to go. And I'm not sure I want to pin it all on Aquafina, but her and Nicholas Holt, their relationship did not really click with me at all. There were, there wasn't any real chemistry between them. It did them. at the beginning whenever, uh, to me, whenever he, but then it goes when, when quickly When he first impresses her with the kills. And, and when all that. she impresses him with her ability to stand down from a bully. Stand up, yeah. stand up to, yeah, stand, yeah, stand up stand to, up. Yeah. yeah, the bully that's uh, attempting to shoot her. He said, "Go ahead and shoot me because I'm not going to compromise on what I feel." Yeah. And, and of course, Renfield's over there saying, "That's what I've been doing for right. a century." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, on paper, it makes sense. It just didn't feel right to me, and the, and none of their scenes together really fully clicked for me. I just never. I was always happier when it was back to Dracula or Renfield well, yeah. on his own. Always happy or, to see I mean, well, that, but you, you know what I'm saying? Or Ben Schwartz. I thought Ben Schwartz was great. That's good casting there. Yeah. Teddy, that, that funny. was funny. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. It was yeah. good. Uh, I, I'll get to my weaknesses in one so, moment. So that was a big one for me is that we kept going and that seemed to be, and then, I mean, it, it just felt like that obligatory. There needs to be this hint of a romance between these two people. And I don't think that needed to be there. I don't think we needed to have that sort of piece to it. So there's that. The other, I'm going to be honest, uh, 
what's his name here? I had it. Oh, Marco Beltrami. I don't want to hear any scores by this guy anymore. Some of the music and some of these. No, but it was to like, I'll give a pass to some like eh, mediocre film music. Mm -hmm. This, there were some scenes where it was so actively working against my enjoyment of them. (laughs) No, seriously. A couple of the fight scenes in, in particular, I think the one in the restaurant there where he first impresses her that like, it just it took me out of it how much mm-hmm. I was not liking the score. It, it just felt it felt lazy. It felt kind of sloppy. And that you know, coming from a non-composer, I know that's probably. But yeah, I I couldn't help myself. I just kept thinking, why are they going? Why is he going this direction with the music? Huh. Yeah, I I I never I never found it offensive, but I can't remember a single. That's note where I am it. with it. It, 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 it felt like generic. It felt like production music. At best, that somebody's like, "Wow, this will work." You, what you're saying with the CGI, like, "Oh, it'll do. It'll be yeah. okay." That's what the music felt like to me. Where it's like, "We'll see." There yeah, th- this has the right energy. Sure, put it in there. Yeah, and not even thinking about, okay, what does the finished product actually does it? Is there a rhythm to it? Is there something that's so now? So now that we've addressed a couple of "it'll be fine" moments <laughs> uh, before Joe starts to go on his tirade, a tirade. I just, I just have to ask. Where did sixty-five million dollars go for for this film? That's the budget. Is sixty-five million dollars? Well, what, what, what did did a, Cage get? Ten, twelve? I mean, a, a, a huge chunk of it has to be him, right? Yeah. Because it's not on the screen, right? By and large, no, I agree. It's not like it's not an expensive-looking film. No, not necessarily. With, but so with all the corners that were cut for um, this is in in today's cinema landscape. This is a five to fifteen million dollar, unless if if unless, you went with if you went with less, lesser names, I think Kate, uh, I don't know what Cage got paid, but he probably got paid a lot. Unless you wanted to, uh, unless it was a studio trying to tie it into some bigger universe, then you could get into the hundred million, hundred and fifty well, maybe. But didn't this come out of the attempt to do the MonsterVerse thing? Like, I don't, I don't think. It, I mean, maybe as an idea, but I don't know that this is an attempt to no, I don't, bring the Dark Universe back because they seem to have abandoned that pretty steadfastly already. Yeah. But I, I don't know. A sixty-five million dollar budget for this movie. The when I saw that, I was like, okay, makes sense that Cage probably got a, a hefty piece of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Ten to twenty percent of that could have been Cage's salary. But then, where's the rest of it? Because like, it's not like it's not like Nicholas Holt and Aquafina and Ben Schwartz are nobodies. Like they had to have. No, I'm sure they all got paid, paid okay, as well. especially Holt and Aquafina. Um, I think Schwartz is still. I hadn't, I hadn't himself. given that thought, but now that you mention it, because um, this movie's not making anything. Yeah, you can you can see oftentimes a hundred million dollars budget on the screen. Uh, with this 65, there were a lot of, you're right, low-budget-looking elements. Give me $5 million for some uh, tankard of fake blood. Is that the going rate? Well, I don't know. I'm, just, I, I'm not a producer. No, I see but... your point. I, I, Aquafina was a big problem for me, yeah. but I think you're right, David. I think that she wasn't given good dialogue or, 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 or yeah. to things to do, but her, really some, her some of her acting to me I was very her. stilted and whatever. The biggest problem I have for this is the intersection of all the action they had to, they were trying to put on the screen. Yeah. I get that you've got the skeleton of the idea, Nicolas Cage paying Dracula. His henchman is, you know, trying to get out of the toxic relationship. Yeah. The powers that he gets when he eats a bug. 
the John Wickiness of the violence. I, okay, fine. But then they add this Lobo family. And then they add the corruption of the NOPD and how she can't get promoted because she's PDNO. basically the only, uh, right. Mm-hmm. The only, she's the only good cop on the force. And then you have them colliding, uh, them being Aquafina's character and Nicholas uh, and Renfield. And then you, and then, and then, and none of it to me made a great picture together. Mm. I laughed a lot though during the movie, and when the yeah. when, when there was a fountain of blood, CGI or not, I, I always thought that that was a great little set yeah. piece within a set piece. There were definitely some kills that got a chuckle out me out of me, despite the CGI blood. But by the time they got to that courtyard, there was nothing new happening. It was just happening in daylight rather than yeah. in a dark bar, and you know, except for maybe the arm getting thrown and impaling somebody, yeah. which is funny. I don't know well, how physically that works. Then when they're on the lamb and the yeah. entire police force and the crime syndicate that has access to the NSA uh, mm-hmm. database is looking for them, she's just making phone calls on her cell phone. Yeah. And when she wants to meet secretly with her sister, they go to the most popular <laughs> place the, in New Orleans. That was one New of the Orleans. worst written scenes yeah. I have ever... And what? there's just those kinds of elements that were sprinkled throughout where I was like, this is... This Let's meet is, at Cafe Du Monde. They did well, not spend well, any of that money. <laughs> they did not spend any of that money, Carlos, on a another rewrite of the script. Sure, which would have maybe helped tighten, you, tighten, you, tighten. You could. Well, hold on. We're going to come back to you talking about tightening because <laughs> that's a crazy thing to say about this movie. But Cafe Du Monde, there can be some rationale behind it's a lot of. There's a lot of people, a lot of witnesses. If you're talking about a big. Syndicate trying to make a scene like there's a lot of I don't know, but they're just sitting there with uh, like these you know cups of coffee just like I thought it was interesting that nobody would have seen them and like been like oh shit there's the people we're looking for while she makes a phone call while they're being tracked it's just but but this yeah yeah, but I mean if there was ever a movie not to get hung up on stuff like that but but that's that's the problem right like I think this is a horror comedy. Horror action comedy, and I think whenever you're doing those genre hybrids, you're talking about what's the balance. Is yeah. it going to be more silly? Is it going to be more scary? Is it going to be more action packed? Is going to, and I just I feel I like, like this one went silly. Well, there's I, nothing I think scary. It, about I think this it movie. did in some ways. No, I think you're right. It, not it, even Aquafina's acting. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely leans away from the horror and towards the comedy. But at certain points where then it wants the stakes to feel like something, they just don't because it is so silly ultimately. So, you know, which is fine when the scene like generally goes the silly direction. But then when they try to bring some like, ooh, we're supposed to be having some suspense here because like, well, what's going to happen? It's all silly. It's fun. I don't know. Renfield's going to live. So you And the support group. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about tightening things up. It's already like what 98 minutes or something like that. I'll and, give it credit for that. It did. It did not it, go long because it knows it knows what it needs to be, and that's all that it needs to be. Yeah. You know. And I think that one of the things about adding and adding, you know, whatever these other plot lines and stuff that you mentioned, Joe, is just that the it's a thin premise. Yeah. Like it is a very it's fun to think about. Mm-hmm. But it's a very thin premise, and so you have to do something to keep things going and to keep an audience engaged, even if it doesn't have me at the edge of my seat or keep me or make me think like, "Oh, it's life and death for these people." And I'm still just like, "Oh, there's a new thing that's happening. That's fun, you know." And I and I think that the strength of this movie is that it is all that it needs to be, and that's just fun and. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not mad that I saw this film. No, but 
and and I was entertained enough that I don't feel cheated with my ticket money. So that so I'll put that out there. But I would say for anybody who's not sort of a cage completist, um, or perhaps Holt completist, though I don't think this is really like outstanding although he does get to do the action stuff but so if you've, if you've done been, has he done enough to be a whole if you've been this? craving well that's well, that's what I mean I'm yeah. saying like look to me this is a film that has its point of attraction for me is Nicolas Cage that there were some good gags in there that, that provided some laughs alongside his performance was enough for me to yeah. feel like okay this was alright but this is not a film that I'm going to tell anybody other than fellow Cage fans yeah and, uh, and, and per, or maybe Dracula, uh, you know, completists or whatever, you know, people who are obsessed yeah. with Dracula. Right. It's, it's, I mean, it's, well, you know, they, no. I mean, there have been so many iterations. You're absolutely right. This, this is in the second half. This uh, is a member yeah. of the Dracula verse. Yeah, I think this movie really suffered from its um, from from its rollout, like because I was gonna uh, push back a little bit against you, saying you would only recommend it to um, Cage, Cage completists. Complete. But right now with – so this is out. Super Mario Bros. is out. Um, Boy, D- is it. Dungeons & Dragons. Um, John okay. Wick Chapter 4 is still out. Scream yeah. 6 is still playing. Um, Air, which is not really in the same conversation, but a movie that I do want to see. Um, if this had come out in January or maybe late September or a more kind of like – sparse time I'd be like look if you want to have a good time at the movies you got to go see Renfield but right now if you want to have a good time at the movies you can go see Dungeons and Dragons that movie's supposed to be like the most fun it is pretty fun you could go see Super Mario you could you know it, there's just so not many... as fun but okay did you see it I saw both a yeah, lot of people Savannah uh, on After Hours said that very very uh, looking forward to it she's seen it twice and says it lives up to all the hype well, good yeah, Josh is like dying for me to see it. He loves it. Um, a lot of people that I've talked to really love it. Jeremy Pinkat said it's quote Kino, uh, like like Russian cinema, cinema. Like the, it's it, it, high cinema. It's Kino, yeah, that's yeah. Kino Pravda. Yeah, it's it's uh, that's an Italian accent on Russian words. I it doesn't matter. No one can tell. Here. They're all European. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. But <laughs> we'll offend everybody with yeah. our Kino accents. Pravda. Yeah, might as well. Um, <laughs> that would be more appropriate. But so. So that's kind of what I'm saying is that like this could have been a great palate cleanser if it had been released at another time, but because or or even in December this would have been a great December movie to kind of wash away all the to wash away the whale got it highfalutin uh, Oscar well, baby stuff it, it, you may, know? yeah maybe um, more January but, February then sure fine but I did uh, I didn't hate it I saw serious flaws. To me, though, up top, I said it. Nicolas Cage in this does exactly what the three of us love to see. In my opinion, Nicolas Cage do. And if you're a newer listener, go look at the backlog. And every 50th episode, beginning with 100, we devote two films to Cage with the desire. At least two. We've done three. Yeah, desire to somehow, someday, get to his entire film. (laughs) (laughs) I do think that watching this and then you know with the press that he's doing around it and stuff the more and more i hear this man talk about acting the harder i think it is to argue against his legacy oh yeah as an actor and yeah. as like an like an artist you yeah. know what with, i mean with, i know that there's a there's going to be that skid mark there all the time where he got into that money trouble and he was doing sorcerer's apprentice and doing all these like ridiculous movies straight for to asian videos yeah. but i think that 
if you really look at his body of work, even the misses are hits because of like what he's trying to do, what he's trying to fearlessness, uh, not just fearlessness, but also this kind of idea that like, I was just watching him, uh, I think on Colbert, uh, Colbert asked him his top five movies that he's been in. And he said his favorite that he's done is pig. And then he mentioned Mandy. Uh, then he mentioned bad Lieutenant. Uh, he mentioned uh fuck um i'm drawing a blank on the last two um joe those are solid three joe, oh, joe. david okay. gordon green Ooh, that, that, movie. May, that may have to be in uh, and the then, next cage and i've been wanting to see it for a long time and i haven't and i can't remember what the fourth one was um and stephen colbert was like well for me it's face off and so you hear nick cage talk about vampires kiss and how he did that whole yeah. you know we've talked about that movie i think right yes, yeah we did. We did. um and and then so like that obviously didn't go well like a somewhat ridiculed performance Box office wise it didn't go well. yeah but also kind of like the thing that people that don't really engage with him on a serious level will point to to kind of ridicule him you know because he does have those really huge scenes in it but then you but then in this conversation with Stephen Colbert he takes that and relates it to how he was able to uh translate the kind of work he was doing there into face-off, which is like taking this really, really weird thing that he did that most people didn't see and translating it into like this massive, huge, highly successful blockbuster and it working, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, he has misses, but he's trying things and he's learning along the way. And then he, he finds ways to take those pieces of other performances that people might think are worthy of ridicule and finding out how they fit into these other more successful things, you know, like in Mandy, he has some really big, Oh yeah. Like crazy moments, but, it, but, it but he, but he contains it too, yeah. to those moments that he needs. To, no, I, I, he's, he is a very, um, it, everything he does is thoughtful. Yeah. Everything he does is with great purpose and intention behind it. And whether or not... Which is what gets lost about him, I think. No, I think you're right, because the, you, people will get turned off by especially some of those really big performances like Vampire's Kiss. and the Wicker just, Man. Yeah, and just dismiss it and yeah. say, oh no, he's just a ham. He's just a silly, ridiculous guy no matter what. And He's just the, nuts. The retort, and, and I'm glad to say, I'm glad to hear that he feels as good about Pig as he does. That is the retort that I go to every time yeah. now, is like, look... You, if you think you know Nick Cage, watch Pig and tell me that you feel the same way. Yeah, yeah. That it's so you subdued. Did. Yeah. All right, yeah. So let me just say that the very first uh, in the cage that cage we did match. Cage, match. cage Match episode one hundred, we did Vampires Kiss, yeah. Face Off, and Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans. It was a four beer episode. Go back to episode 100. <laughs> in After Hours, I'll go through the rest of the cage matches that we've okay. done. Just to remind everybody okay. everything yeah. that we've covered. Yeah. I am disappointed that I ran out of time today uh, because I didn't get to the After Hours from last week to hear y'all's reordering of the top oh, ten man. of Sight and Sound. I'm very I'll give you a spoiler now. alert. My favorite was 2001 A Space Odyssey. His is Gene Dielman. You're number one. You kept it at one. I kept it at one. I was just okay. as surprised when he announced it uh, on After Hours, patreon.com really slash beer in a movie podcast. Pa Pam, great. <laughs> Pam's <laughs> disdain oh. for sitting through some of that. But then she ended up liking it. I, I know, the, the, I And know. it's the perfect, and actually that. But I, she started out by saying like, well, I have some, I, she said something about y'all wasting six hours yes, of her life. Yes, yeah. no, oh like no, Pam is, Pam is one of the funniest people uh, out there. So I'm always happy to have her on. Um, and I'm glad you, you enjoyed her. Uh, you know, so I think Carlos is definitely the 
most positive on this. I think of the three of us of the of, of Renfield. 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 Um, I'm recapping here, we, we, perhaps, but I'm, I'm, we're I, might all be, saying, I might be a close second. We're all second. saying if you like Nick Cage, oh yeah, go go. Carlos would even say, "Hey, this isn't just relegated to Cage fans. There's enough here for right. the average audience." But close your eyes during the gore because it's some bullshit CG. Yeah, there all you right. go. There you go. Well, listen, hazy IPAs, right? One of our favorite things to drink. You got uh-huh. more fruit forward ingredients, uh, creamier texture typically, creamier flavor. That suspended fruit elements make the make the haze and the thickness and the. Well, the, the, let's s- not let's not get too. You're making it sound like we have fruit additions here. We don't have fruit. Well, additions. no, I did list at the top of the, it's uh, the notes. But the, the, it's, the, it's the hop. They're pulling that out of the, the right. those fruity notes out of the hops. Yeah, because sometimes a hazy will actually incorporate some fruit. This does not have that. Well, but they're talking about the. I just said at the beginning that yeah. uh, they say in their marketing, it's got the uh, creaminess cornucopia of berries, stone fruit, and right. citrus. Right. So. I I liked this beer. I thought this was a pretty solid, uh, good to represent the genre of hazy IPA. I think I uh, I liked it. I didn't love it. I but it's uh, it's well. No, I'm just I'm just no. It's because like, like that. There's that in between where like would I order this again? Yeah, in a certain contact or situation yeah but am i going to keep a six pack of it in my fridge probably not but i, I think pretty, that's pretty good i think that's the the challenge right i mean hazy ipas have been around for a few years now i mean i feel like they've really kind of you know they, they span this podcast in some ways I, th- I feel like we were just starting to get those when we started recording this podcast and it was like kind of a novel and exciting thing when we get a new hazy and at this point it's a well-established ver- variety of beer that's out there and I think there have been so many great versions of it that we've been able to have, whether on the show or even just off mic. Had some pretty fresh, heavy hands recently. Yeah. that, And I was up in Denver. I was having the juicy mm. bits on tap everywhere. That was like, it, it, we'll talk after hours. But <laughs> the, you know, the bottom line here to me is this is a serviceable, hazy. I think it's a little, I think with all that boasting of the fruit flavors that, that you're getting in there, I think that's pretty muted for me. This isn't the, this isn't the juiciest of hazies that mm-hmm. I've ever had. It was kind of fruity though. Um, on the, it, on the, more on the stone side, I think. The stone yeah, I mean, it has a little bit. And there's almost like a slight, I'm going I'm to take another sip and see if I, I agree with yeah, myself as I'm doing that. David. Like a slight, almost like, I don't know. I want to say like a pepper note or something right at the end, which I would. It isn't spicy pepper. It's more like this after. I don't know. It, there's just something about the finish of it that I'm not enjoying as much as I typically do on a nice juicy hazy IPA. So I would put this definitely in that more like lower third, to, maybe just above the lower third, middle third. I guess is where I would say. In the, in would the you try hazy. it on draft given the opportunity on a hot day in Austin? Yes, okay. absolutely. I would, would I, if I was at the brewery, would I get some fresh out of the? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Right. And would I, you know, if if I was at a bar and they only had you know this and maybe one other IPA option or something, would I be happy drinking this? For sure. Certainly. I just did a little research. The very first hazy IPA that we ever had was episode nine, Voodoo Ranger Hazy uh, Juicy Haze IPA from <laughs> wow. New Belgium. So yeah, they've it's been around as long one. as we've been doing this. Yeah, it's not a bad one. No. All right. Well, you know, th- this hasn't been a bad episode so far, even if we weren't as hype on the film as maybe we had hoped going into it. Uh, but 
second half, I have a feeling we it's may get interesting. We may be pretty high. Yes. If but, if we were missing uh, spider-like women fused together <laughs> topless in Renfield, we get a good hefty <laughs> dose of that in the second episode. That, that was the, the real missing ingredient, was it? It might have been. Might we'll, have been. we'll bring it in after the break. And we're back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it right there. That's the one. Uh, okay, yeah. We, we are back. Yeah. And there's more Dracula to come. Well, we, we know the first movie this episode. We know the first beer this episode. I'm going to tell you about this second beer right now, though, that I think, you know, we didn't emphasize it. Well, we did a little bit. But, you know, Fatback, great tie-in, Joe. Thank you. That, that was a great, great call, um, which has its own reasons for being... Uh, the beer that name that it is, given the Austin connection, but works perfectly for a story about Dracula. This one, I think, works pretty equally as well uh, because we're going to be drinking a beer called Dapper Devil, <laughs> which, come on, Dracula's one of the most dapper of all devils out there. Um, and this is from another Austin brewery, one that we have had on the podcast before at least a couple times. This is Blue Owl Brewing. This is, in terms of its style, a sour raspberry Belgian-style ale. Um, they, you know, Blue Owls primarily, I think they only do sours, yeah. right? They, they don't... They're, they're, Kettle they, sours. Yeah. Um, and this one is one of the beers in their arsenal that I would say is right at the top of where they usually go ABV-wise. This is a 9%er guy. Yeah, usually not that high for them. Yeah. No, no. They're usually kind of easy drinkers. An so. underrated brewery, I feel. I, I agree, and one of the few uh, sour stouts that I've ever liked yeah. came from Blue uh, Blue Owl. It's our yeah. second time at Blue Owl. Okay, uh, we had the cha- episode... sour cherry stout. No, we right? had the uh, pastry gosa sour peach cobbler. We never wow. had that cherry alongside one on the show? French Dispatch. You know, we probably Back did it on episode one sixty nine. Because I know I we I know we had it together yeah. at some point. Well, nonetheless, I'm excited for this. Thank you, Joe, uh, for. For procuring two great beer pairings. I feel like we are getting, you're right, we're back to the beer in a movie format that we all know and love. Yeah, you guys had fucking wine last week, you maniacs. <laughs> the Godfather. The Godfather part. Is this, is this pouring red? Because that would be, that, uh, it's a perfect episode for yeah, this. Yes, it is. It, yeah, we'll give you red. I would say like pink, but okay. red, yeah. It's got uh, a, and a nine percent with raspberries in it. I'm very excited. That's an impressive pour if I've ever mm. seen one. The Godfather. The Godfather Part Two, The Conversation, Apocalypse Now. The director of those four films, if he retires, has almost like a perfect track record. But then, Wait, what, what are if we he only did with? those films, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, he, oh, if he ended oh, there, okay, okay. I mean, he had done a few before, and he did, but yeah. But sure, then okay, you get into a little bit of an area with Francis Ford Coppola where you're like, where is the genius? These, I see some touches. Tucker. He's a, he's a, he's <laughs> Peggy a, Sue got married. He's a Steven Spielberg esque figure. Many people, though, believe that his 1992 film Bram Stoker's Dracula is minimally a return to form and maximally one of the best Dracula movies ever made. And that's the subject of our second half today. 
Um, I wonder what it's about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, if you read, did, did either of y'all read Bram Stoker's Dracula uh, in know, high school I'm, or college? I am sad to admit that I never have read the novel. Okay, well, you know the names, right? Van Helsing and yeah. Mina. Yeah. And have you read the novel? Have I had. Any? Yeah, okay, I, I, I right. had to I'll for get there in a one of them. And oh, well, got a story coming up. Story alert. So, uh, so Dracula from his home in Transylvania is buying up properties around London, and he sends. So, a real estate firm sends uh, Keanu Reeves to be the attorney to get some contracts signed. But when Keanu Reeves shows a picture in a locket or like a little, you know, old photograph of his fiance who happens to be the splitting image of Dracula's long-lost wife that Which we've already murdered. seen in a prologue. Yes, we did. Bit, uh, Dracula. A good prologue. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Dracula heads to London. Uh, he's got the ability to change his appearance of age. He can kind of turn into any animal. He can turn into smoke. He can turn into... And all of those... Uh, elements that we know from seeing all kinds of Dracula movies. Van Helsing is summoned because not, is it n not Nina? Lucy is one on a writer, correct? No, no okay, I, got, I had it wrong. Sorry, no. Mina. No, no, Mina. Lucy is no, no. being attacked in the middle of the night or and her blood is uh, being withdrawn and there's some marks on her neck. So Van Helsing, the famous, uh, I guess, vampire hunter, or at least knows a lot about him, uh, Dracula is summoned, and then they go on a quest. They being uh, uh, Keanu Reeves back from Transylvania, where he had been imprisoned. So and an H, right? What's his name? Hecker, not Hecker. Harker, Harker. Yeah. Jonathan Hark. Uh, Mina's fiance. Yeah, Mina, uh, Mina, Mina's fiance. Am I getting? I'm getting the names yeah. wrong. Yeah, no, Mina and Mina's and fiance. Jonathan. Some other suitors. They go on a quest to track trans uh, Dracula back to Transylvania oh. and kill him. Well, oh no, Lucy. Okay, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. we all know Lucy's the names. Let's not get bogged down <laughs> in my good. mistakes. Let's not get bogged down in the rules. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And what we see here is a highly stylized, big art production of the classic Dracula story, and in my opinion, Pretty a big. return to form for Mr. Coppola. A pretty faithful adaptation too, because uh, that's, that's, as I understand, you know, David, the clearly least read uh, in the room, yeah, uh, easily. hardly an academic. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the kind of what I remember striking me as odd in high school was that Bram Stoker's Dracula is just diary entries. That's like right. You read it as just diary entries, and you piece yeah. get the story from you know how it's put together that way, and it kind of is filmed that way too he yeah. largely retains that and, framing yeah. in a way that is i think bold to mm -hmm. try to make that work yeah. uh, in a, a feature film now in case i didn't mention it gary, gary oldman, oldman plays dracula, dracula. Anthony, anthony hopkins, hopkins plays van helsing carrie elwis plays the fiance of lucy yeah. lord arthur homewood and richard uh, gant uh, plays uh, the doctor uh and and the first time we see renfield yeah in this film, I watched this this morning because uh, I'd never seen it. Oh, um, and oh. so, well, kind of had never seen it. But as soon the first time we see Renfield, it's pretty short and it's like a really like kind of unnatural angle as well, camera angle, and mm -hmm. it, it's it's we don't spend a ton of time with him right up front. Uh, and I was like, man, they really should have cast Tom Waits. <laughs> and then the next time that we see him for longer, I'm like, oh fuck, that is Tom oh, wow. Waits. <laughs> you know, you didn't know that Tom Waits was there. Oh, I had funny. no idea he okay. was in this movie. I didn't know Richard Gant was in this movie. I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know Carrie Elways was in this movie. I was very pleased to see him show up. Yeah, this is the horniest. Oh, this and is... most simultaneously most boring 
movie that I think I've seen in quite some time. You think this is a boring movie? Let wow. me uh, let me elaborate. So when I read this book in high school, can we stop you? No. <laughs> when I read this book in high school, it was like we had to read this uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which I loved, and uh, I think Treasure Island was the other one. And it was like part of like a unit or what I in my dual credit English class. I only got halfway through this one, okay. and then I was just like. Ugh. And about halfway through this movie, almost exactly, I was like, like it's really exciting in the beginning and entertaining. And then, I don't know, once Dracula gets to London, I'm just like, eh, all right. Yeah. Sure, I guess. I can can see that. I I don't know. It just, it, it, the back half of this movie just like, for some reason to me, just lost so much steam. And like, I, I, and I almost blurted this out earlier, but when you said something about Nicholas Holt and Aquafina and them just kind of not like yeah. know, buying into that whole thing, I had a really hard time buying into Mina and Dracula's love story. Oh, I de- no, I think that's that that's a problem in this movie for sure. But I think- but it's but it, I, I'm not saying that. I, I mean, certainly there is a problem with it because it is literally like. Uh, a glorification of the thing that Renfield is trying to condemn, which is like a toxic relationship. Yeah, you know what I mean? Right. But it's not that. It's not like a moral thing. It's just, I, I just, for some reason, I don't know if they spent too much time trying to get us there with them, but there's, for some, I don't know, maybe maybe it's maybe it's Winona Ryder's performance, but I just don't really buy that he seduced her properly. Well, so, somewhat notoriously, you know? the actors actually did not like each other. They did not like each other, no. yeah. So they, I, mean, I, and I, I read think, about that. I think yeah. that comes through, unfortunately, uh, yeah. in several of I didn't of the feel scenes. like she really liked him that much. I, I'll go on so far as to say that Winona Ryder is horribly miscast in this movie. I, and that I a think, different actress might have done a much better job. I love Winona Ryder. I do Me too. too. I, I don't think she's necessarily the problem. Um, no. I, okay. The, the, so we. I, I, I want to say off the top, I like this film. I, do too. I, I think that this is a good film. It's okay. I, I don't know if I would I say... I like the hornier parts of it. Those are fun. <laughs> I don't know... <laughs> Of I like course, I like the, I like the more the blood soaked parts of it, like especially the him in that the fucking costume design of his armor in the beginning is just yeah incredible. oh yeah no the, pro, the prologue is the, the prologue give is me, the tightest part of the film it's in so some good. ways it's so good. I, I think that that prologue and that from what I understand you correct me you you learned a gents uh, <laughs> that is an addition from. The, the, that know. wasn't in the novel, I don't think. There wasn't a direct prologue connecting uh, oh, the, the, this the historical creates, Vlad Drac creates to... the motivation for Dracula to be Dracula. Uh, yeah. Okay. okay. I, I, I don't I don't remember. I don't think high and, school and was and a the long novel, time ago. And in the novel, I don't think there was any sense that Mina or the or the fiance was a reincarnation of that lost wife of his okay from, from the past. so i think that right. was i think yeah. that was brought in by i guess well and i shouldn't even totally give coppola credit right because this was written by james v hart and this was brought to him as a script right by writer yeah so um so anyway i think hart sort of bringing that into it here is pretty genius i love that connection and the fact that that's yeah. mm-hmm. knowing that's not a novel i think that actually strengthens the story sadly i think it does not get served as well as it could have because of the lack of chemistry between at least the modern version. Like it's it's a short enough piece in the prologue that it I can't even scrutinize their relationship. But once mm-hmm. I'm actually seeing modern, well, I say modern day, but present day Dracula as of the film's time. Uh-huh. But it's um, but it's also because in the prologue, it's his wife makes sense that she's sad. Yes. In the present day of the film, it's. 
a woman like forsaking her fiance and like you well know, under his spell, be- but that's but betraying him. But we know that Dracula has powers of persuasion and sure. And, but that's what I'm saying is that like it just doesn't really yeah work. I I want it to be like I want I wanted to feel like she was more under his spell. So that I do see that weakness and I, but I don't necessarily lay that all at Ryder's feet. I think that Oldman needed to meet her further, go further, but. I mean, the, the bad casting here is Reeves, and that's that's like it's been said. I will second I'm not the one to, your to, opinion, and I like Reeves a lot. Yes. We just did John Wick Four. I think in the right stuff, he's I mean, the, not the movie, the right stuff, but in the right <laughs> content, he's right fantastic movies, as John Glenn. He's great. He, he and and I think he could have even maybe been great in this. But I don't know if it's a factor of him being so young that he was nervous. I don't know if it was a factor of him playing with bigger names and realizing like, oh, I'm, I gotta. But that accent is trash. It's yes. Like it's a trash accent. accent. It's bad. So what I read was that he was so fixated on perfecting it that it took away any kind he tripped of na- up over naturalness yeah. that it, it, yeah. it could have had. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, Pam, our after hour guest and after hours guest last week, said as much in after hours. Yeah. After hours, look. Patreon.com slash podcast. <laughs> yeah, get, get in there. It's not. It's just not that much money. Five dollars a month gets you bonus episodes every single week. <laughs> that's where we have a very real conversation. So when we mentioned that we were doing this, next week, she's like, "Oh God, Keanu Reeves is so bad." <laughs> Hold on, I'm gonna rewatch it. Yeah, I just I, I concur, Pam. No, no, Pam is totally right. I liked him a little. But bit. you always, Carlos, and you're not here every week as you used to be. But you always give your favorite actor so much space. I. It's not even that. I, yes, I love Keanu Reeves. And is he like maybe one of the only good people in Hollywood? Probably. Hopefully he doesn't disappoint me at some point. <laughs> yeah. But I just, I don't know. There's something about the unnaturalness of it, given that, given that like the thing that we're dealing with here, Dracula, is so unnatural. It creates this kind of like surreal element to the movie that I don't hate. I don't think it's a good performance, but it, I but it doesn't bother me as much as yeah. I think it should. Yeah, I did not get bored. I think the period piecedness of it all keeps you engaged. Um, and I think that you got to talk about the visual design of the entire film from that prologue, which is just amazing. But it never really lets you down whenever, especially when Dracula's on the screen. You, yes, of course, his shadows don't match the body that's Love presenting that, yeah. the shadows, but that's so much fun, and it kind of continues throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Yes, whenever he walks by flowers, you watch them decompose. I mean, little touches like that throughout the film never, ever get old for me. And then once Anthony Hopkins shows up, the film creates an energy. He creates an energy, brings energy to it that I He's really, really too. enjoy. He's horny. In a, yeah. yeah, he's horny in, oh, yeah. no, a, in a horny well, film. Well, and it builds up to that scene with him and Ryder, where she, yeah. you know, where she's really, you know, like seducing him. And it to- that one totally works. Like yeah, there's, that there works, was chemistry yeah. between Hopkins and Ryder yeah. <laughs> that wasn't there between Oldman and Ryder. Chem- yeah. Chemistry between Ryder's uh, Nina and and Lucy and Lucy yeah. Nina. Uh, yeah, yeah, with an M. Mina, yeah, Mina. Mina. She's I said, me. it's I said Mina. Mina. Yeah, I said Mina. Okay, I, I okay. keep saying Mina. <laughs> I said Mina. You just had too much of this eight point nine <laughs> raspberry sour. You're, you're mishearing it's, me. It's the Dapper Devil getting. To I you. don't make. Mis- I said Mina. It's nine. It, <laughs> I it's, said Mina. It's nine percent. So. And I think that Gary Oldman's performance here, and me. and we talk about horniness. I mean, this is a horny movie. It's really. The, horny. I mean, Dracula creates uh, horniness. Who is, uh, I, I Lucy's her. very horny. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Sadie Frost, who I don't really know from a lot of other stuff. Me either. Uh, 
like from out the gate mm-hmm. is like just oozing sexuality. Yeah, I mean, that Victorian just, age where it's really inappropriate. Right, yeah. right. So I mean, the, it's fun. And man, that that uh, you know, um, the Dracula werewolf scene uh, that 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 we get there, where he's yeah. you know. It, it, on top of her, right? I mean, in the middle of the act, when Mina stumbles upon them, and yeah. he, you know, wow, what what a, I remember that image shocking me then. Yeah, it still shocks me now. Yeah, it's a little shocking. The costume is. I was thinking about this when I was watching because I was like, oh, that costume looks a little silly, but then I would prefer that. I realized that I would prefer that to CGI. Yeah, I like it better. Yeah, even though it's. It's silly in a different way, but but I don't know. I think that I think for me where it starts to fall apart is kind of like the belaboring of Lucy's condition, um, and this probably has something to do with just like the time and like space that I'm watching it in, where I've I've seen so many Dracula movies at this point. Mm-hmm. I've like consumed so much of that lore that the like suspense building of what's going to happen to her doesn't really work for me and they spend a lot of time on her like not being well and then you know getting worse and worse and then the teeth come out and all that kind of stuff and i'm just like you could have just we could have just turned her immediately and we'd be in and out and like we know because we know it's that's probably a dedication to the book because sure it's all yeah. yeah but 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 again like it's like um we've talked about i don't know probably at this point like five years ago um the weird kind of um, devoutness to retelling Batman's origin story in every yeah. Batman movie. It's like, dude, we fucking get it. Like, <laughs> you don't need to show us this again. But you haven't seen this angle of his parents' murder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you've never seen it in really, really, really slow motion. Uh, <laughs> wait, but this time they're not watching Zorro. They're watching another movie. And like, <laughs> but so like with this, it's like I get it. And, you know, this was... 31 years ago at this point, right? When yeah. this came out. Yeah. And so maybe 30 years ago, people weren't as inundated with that lore and like didn't already assume what was going to happen yeah. in a way that we do now. But I think, I think it was that that kind of took me out of it. And then by the time, and, and also by virtue of the diary uh, storytelling mechanism, there's a big period of time where our, up until that point, main character played by Keanu Reeves just disappears. And so it's like, oh, this character that I've been following and have been invested in what's going to happen to leaves me for like a half an hour. He's getting getting drained by the three uh, Dracula babes. Sure, which like... I will say, I did enjoy one piece of Keanu Reeves uh, acting, and that is when the three, whenever Dracula shows up and says, stop, stop seducing him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then gives them a baby. Yeah. And then Keanu Reeves' reaction to that, I thought was pretty stellar. <laughs> By the way, if you ever wanted to see Gary Oldman's body armor suit that looks like the, the muscular... It's on display somewhere, right? It's on display at Coppola's Winery oh, in, right. in <laughs> California. Right. So maybe we should do a field trip. Yeah. <laughs> Wine in a movie. That we've done Wine, it. Wine and cinema. Wine and cinema. Um, yeah, I, I I'm mean, a big I, fan of this movie, Carlos. And I, 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 it is an interesting conversation, David. You and I had seen this probably back when it came out. Carlos watching it for the first time. Do these movies hold up for a oh. younger audience, for a new audience? Uh, it's a very interesting opinion. For me, though, revisiting something that I really, really loved when it came out, I just had I had a different feeling for it. I forgot to tie in my feelings with... I think I forgot, but uh, 
this and the book have the same pacing problems for me. About halfway through, it's kind of like, okay, eh. And the same way that I, I didn't finish the book, I did put in the effort and finish this one. We appreciate it. Um, but on the other side of that same coin, I'm sure that, I know we've talked about this before, I don't know if it was on mic or not, but when you think about movies that are really rewatchable, like movies that you can always just put, you've seen them 20 times and they still are like enjoyable, all of those movies have a really dense, well-paced first 30 to 45 minutes. Like the first act and a half of those movies that are really rewatchable, they're either packed with jokes or packed with like action or uh, you know drama or suspense or whatever in that first part. And even though sometimes those movies slow down in pace or in joke per minute or whatever, because they have such a good hook in the beginning makes them really rewatchable. So despite not having loved this movie, it I would think that it would be a pretty rewatchable film if somebody was like, oh, well, let's put it on, or like, oh, if I just like flipped a channel, like I can afford cable, oh, oh. and it was on, and I'd be like, oh yeah, I could sit and watch. This a is a bit of this, this is a, I'm putting I mean? this on a party movie list. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. You know, t- to me, this film, I think it excels. Joe pointed out production design. I think here is a big, big strength. I think that Coppola went all in on the look of this film making sure that it had this like very yes gothic that you would recognize but also adding his own elements i think like you were saying the shadow play the the you know the kind of uh you know it has a western vibe at times uh yeah with that western character certainly the guy from texas who is but i'm thinking of like the uh painted backdrops of like a mountain range yeah just like okay from that old western okay yeah i could see that i mean um, and I think that uh, Oldman's performance outstanding. I think Hopkins is pretty great. I think that uh, th- there's uh, Renfield. Tom Waits here is is a great rendering of Renfield. Um, perhaps the best, I guess, at this point. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa! Better than Holt. Nicholas better Holt than Holt. Would like a word. I think it's better than Holt. <laughs> um, so you know, but he's not carrying the entire film either. So the, the so I think there's a. All those pieces are there that I loved when I saw it before, when I was younger. Um, I think the the weakness of Reeves is one that, you know, like Carlos is saying that he's kind of sad when he leaves. I'm kind of relieved when <laughs> we get that break, honestly. And it, But then again, it gets picked up with the kind of odd chemistry or non-chemistry of Ryder and Oldman throughout that chunk of it. So that that kind of sags a little bit, I think. But... Overall, I still find this to be a satisfying and and good. I don't think this is Coppola returning to the heights of I, I Apocalypse Now. I, I wouldn't say so. Godfather. Yeah. I think this is it's solid B. It got Apocalypse him back. It got him back above. What? What's not good? We talked about it already. Apocalypse, Apocalypse Now. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, Christ. but it got him back above where he had been throughout. I think a lot of the eighties. <laughs> was that so, Rumblefish era? Well, that's that would be uh, Peggy good. Peggy Sue 80s. got married. That, I'm thinking more Peggy Sue Tucker. Um, what, what was the? There was another one there in the later '80s, I think. Oh, wh- well, one from the heart, right? One. From yeah, the, the heart, one with yeah. the Tom Waits soundtrack. Yeah, the Crystal Gale. Yeah. 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 So loves Tom Waits. Yeah, good I mean, and he should. He should. And here he uses him very effectively. Way down in the hole. Um, so I think there's enough there that I can still say that, you know, as you said, Joe, I think th- this is kind of a, s- a solid B film, um, meaning grade, not like it's a B film that B 
budget. It's it's got an A budget, but it's a oh, it's, B, an a, it's a B grade. That yeah, I'm, it was that only I'm like getting. forty million, right? The Cotton yeah, Club. Yeah, for the time that was for the time that's a, that was good. The Cotton good. Club, New York Stories. Uh, there, there he, he had a uh, entry in New York Stories, right. and then 1990 uh, Godfather Part Three. I mean, which okay, is okay. There you go. That and that's probably and this is his follow up too. 1996 yes. Jack. Right. <laughs> uh, the Rainmaker, right? Okay, and then a pretty long period of nothing until what the Tetro Youth or? Without Youth in two thousand seven, Tetro two thousand nine, yeah. more films. But then I guess uh, Megalopolis, Megalopolis coming up with uh, Carlos's favorite actor, one of his favorite modern actors, uh, Adam Driver, who's ass. Um, Eighty six million would be the today's budget. Okay, yeah, I mean that's, that's a, respectable. I mean it's, it's not barely like, over Renfield. Yeah, relatively. And, there, and it wasn't going to the actor salaries. I mean Hopkins was probably commanding a little more because he had just come off the Oscar win with Silence of the Lambs and whatnot. But Oldman wasn't a marquee name and still isn't. No, no he's uh, pretty young. In this and movie. and Reeves, this was before Speed. This was before he was really the bankable action guy that he ended up becoming. Well, actually, they cast him because they thought he would be like a, a marquee. Oh, yeah, you know, more bankable than there. Well, because of you know he he was hot at the time. He had done Bill Coppola and Dad, wanted you know? De- Johnny Depp, okay. and, and when Honor Ryder wanted Johnny Depp, but Christian yeah. Slater was the first one cast. But the what are we, what are we talking about? Dracula. Yeah, Christian Slater was cast in Dracula yeah, as yeah as Canary. Oh, Wall. interesting. Okay, yeah. he may have wanted Johnny Depp, and maybe they oh, just God, never the, even got I don't know anywhere. If Christian Slater. Christian Slater was English accent would have been better. was cast, and I don't remember exactly why that didn't work out. Johnny Depp, admittedly. Would have been fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As that so, role. Megalopolis yeah. uh, TBA. We don't know the date of it. I did say Adam Driver, but let me let me make it a sweeter deal for you. The uh, n- I hate the name makes me. Hate okay, but listen, who else is in this? Uh, many, many people, and then Aubrey Plaza. Okay, and then it. Shia LaBeouf. Who right. are you down on him now? Because he's okay. No, and I, then, I still think he's a great actor. Uh, Jason Schwartzman. So I mean, come on. Well, that's a little nepotism, but we'll, <laughs> yeah. well, come on. Uh, he, he's, and then Dustin Hoffman. Everybody's in just this like movie. Cage. Nepa baby. Right. I mean, yeah, I but you don't need to. That's a bit on the nose, right? <laughs> Being in your uh, oh, you're uncles. making fun of his fucking nose, man. Come on, <laughs> look. Geez. As Schwartzman's got a schnoz, but you <laughs> don't. As oh. as someone of uh, profound nose uh, <laughs> nose size yes. or nose dum, you know, we're, me and him. Y- are the you same. you can you uh, can call him out on it. I, I got you. Well, I that, uh, Gary Oldman is though, especially when he's in that Victorian, as you said, um, current age in the film, is one dapper devil. Mm. He sure is. Also, we can all agree that Werner Herzog's Nosferatu is the best Dracula movie, right? Like, I just of all time. Yeah, I don't really feel like that's debatable. Oh well, I mean, we liked Murnau's too. Yeah. You know, I mean, there it's Which not one? the Nosferatu. Oh, uh, the silent. The, the yeah, the, uh, the first one. The first yeah. one. Yeah, there was a really good homage to that in Renfield. Yeah, uh, that I liked a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the doorway scene. Is yeah, what I'm referring to. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just saying, like, it's it's a, they're they're different, but I agree. Hertzog's in the age of wonderful. the talkie. No, in terms of the ones that we've covered. <laughs> I would put Herzog and Murnau in a different category. This this would be below that for sure. And Renfield would be below that. Did y'all do Dracula 1931? No, I don't think we have. We have not. The only classic universal monster we've done is Frankenstein. uh, Well, no, we did Frankenstein. We did Creature. Creature of the Black Lagoon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All Horror October, both entries in different years. I listened to the Creature of the Black Lagoon, but I I still haven't seen it. I, I... 
when when Renfield started, I was kind of surprised that y'all hadn't picked the original Dracula because of the direct nod to it. I didn't realize that we was didn't, didn't know it was there. coming. I, that, you yeah. know, that, I was pleasantly once surprised. I saw yeah, once yeah, I saw yeah, it, that could have been. You're, a, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. I tried to sneak it into just for you know and you know research sake. Well, anyway, anytime we can do couple is a good day. We Gary have upped our game up to eight point nine ABV. Gary Oldman is indeed a dapper devil, and this is nine point zero percent ABV BT Dubs. Okay, I'm looking at their website. Uh, oh, this is one of Blue Owl's first seasons. Seasonal beers that they ever did. Just oh, wow. FYI. Uh, they say rich in color, crisp body, fruity aroma and flavor, dry clean finish. It'll leave you dappered after the first sip. <laughs> leave you dappered? I didn't know I we know could use that, that as an adjective, uh, as a verb. It's a verb That's... now. <laughs> well, I, if what I've been getting is dappered, then dapper me away. This is a delicious little Dap me sour. Up. Uh, and I would not know this was nine percent if mm-hmm. I was just drinking this. That this is one of those dangerous beers, folks. I got to tell you, if if somebody had a cooler of this and they were nicely chilled and it was a hot afternoon and I was out in the backyard grilling or what, and I'm grabbing these, I could drink two or three of these before I know it, and I might be in some trouble. Be careful, folks. Yeah, I had to take a good first two or three sips just to wash the that flavor profile of the IPA that we had done yeah. out. But once I settled into it, I absolutely agree. Crispier, cr- on the crispy meter, it scores higher than the flavor meter. It's not hitting you over the head with the raspberry, but yeah. it's crisp. Well, I think that's, and that's what and I'm that's really why, enjoying. That's why it's so stealthy with the ABV is that I would expect for a 9%er that this is going to be like, going to have a, a, a thicker mouthfeel. This is going to be in the sweetness. There's going to be a, a, a heavier sweetness to the berry. Yeah. Like this is a very subtle, yeah. easy, light kind of drinking beer that it, it really isn't. It's a nine, you know, it's a heavy beer in so terms of call alcohol. this as a six of this go into your fridge as uh, using that as the guide with the fat bat at the first half of the episode. Uh, come late May, early June for sure. I'm with you. Um, I'm with you. It's it's really good. Uh, probably more of the transition from the hazy into this, but that first sip, uh, I had to unhinge my jaw a little bit. <laughs> it was really, uh, it really got me. But yeah, it's delicious, and you know, some t- it is nice when you get a beer that has you know a certain adjunct or you know flavor or whatever advertised, where you really just get it super heavy but there is also something to be said for the subtlety of just like the hint of it or the essence of Mm -hmm. it and this one i think is really subtle with the raspberry which is a hard fruit to be subtle with um but it's crisp and it's delicious and it'll get you unexpectedly drunk yeah yeah so just be careful so i i heartily endorse this as well i think it's a great beer um i'd be happy to have this in my fridge that six pack, I would make sure I didn't drink all in one afternoon, <laughs> yeah. but but I would happily have it on hand, and it might be one that I go to like later in the evening when I'm you know it's still hot out, which happens here for sure, yep. and uh, and I'm still needing something that's a little more refreshing, uh, but I'm ready for a nightcap. This this could work really well. I, I I like the Dapper Devil quite a bit. So Carlos, we are this is episode two forty one. Oh shit! And no, two forty three, my friend. Oh, I'm behind in my bookkeeping. So what that means is seven weeks from now is episode 250, where we will have to pick two or maybe three or maybe five cage (laughs) films to have our uh, to to re-enter the cage match. Would you please? I'm extending the invitation now. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I I I didn't for one second. 
even ponder a okay. world in which I was not going to re-enter the cage. So, even not invited, I know when and where you were born. <laughs> I can he, enter. He would the break cage into the cage. Need be. Yeah. So we are. So we are entering into after hours soon. What is it, Carlos? I forgot. Patreon.com slash Brian Movie Podcast. $5 a month. Get you a bonus episode every single week. That's right. And I want to hear all about your Denver trip, David. Yeah. And uh, I want to go through these cage films that we've talked about. And mm-hmm. I might I might even suggest that we think about what cage films Ooh. we might want to do. Yeah. It's coming up sooner than later. Yeah. All right. Soon. So listen, this is the best part. And Carlos, I was going to, should I toss it to you? This is the, the, this is the, this is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> the best part about beer in a movie is that the conversation does not end now. No. It's the, what I just said about after hours. It continues yeah. on all your favorite social media channels. All of them. Not only that. Well, but, you know, most, some of them. Most. Some of a them were of them. a little more active than others. Uh, we, we have not done any TikTok dancing or chugging or drinking right. beers upside down. But you can find us on your Instagrams and your Facebooks and your Discord. If you're yeah. at Discord and you want to get in, in, in on our server where Carlos makes frequent appearances, you uh, look for Beer in the Movie. The conversation continues. Yeah. But uh, again, we'll point you over to After Hours. We're about to do another good 45-hour of just chit-chatting. <laughs> Marathon, folks. Yeah, 45 yeah. minutes an hour of just some <laughs> chit-chatting about life. I've got a little bit of life to talk about, a little bit. And then uh, we also have merch, man. T-shirts, mugs, koozies, the whole thing over at our Facebook, uh, over at our website, Beer in a Movie Podcast. Beer in a, what is it? Beer in a Movie Podcast. Podcast. Com. Com. I don't have my notes up. So That's this okay. is just off of the hip. You're doing well. And uh, I'm going to tell you that this has been another blood-fueled, long-fanged episode (laughs) of Beer in a Movie. So, until next time, I have crossed oceans of time to find you. (laughs) 